on the Pacifica Radio Network. This is Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. I'm John Schock. Happiness is the goal today. Happiness is a skill you can develop. You can access joy on demand. Joy on Demand, The Art of Discovering the Happiness Within. That's the book. The author is Chade Meng Tan. Meng is with me via Skype. Welcome to Progressive Spirit. Thank you so much for having me. Abraham Lincoln is famously quoted as saying that folks are usually about as happy as they make their minds up to be. Was, was <laughs> Honest Abe right? Is happiness a decision we make? In a sense, yes. The way I see it, happiness is a skill. It's, uh, some of us are born with it, some of us are not. And it's a lot like, like running. Some of, us, some of us are born runners. And some of us, we are born, we can't run. But the thing is, if we put in the effort, we can uh, train to become runners. And I think it's the same with happiness. Happiness is a skill. Or, or rather, access to joy is a skill. And some of us are born with it, the lucky ones. <laughs> the rest of us, like me, I was born miserable. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to do this. And, and so I, I figured it out. And it turns out to be a, a set of skills, and I learned those skills. And then I learned to access happiness, and then I became happy. So I think the trick is it's not really making up your mind to be happy. It's not saying, I want to be happy from now on. <laughs> it is instead saying, mm-hmm. These are the skills, and then this is what I need to do. And when I train those skills, I will be happy. Let's talk about some terms. You wrote in your book that there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness uh, is a long-term state of being, and joy is more of an immediate emotion. Is that right? Can you help define those terms, joy and happiness? Correct. So uh, for happiness, I'm using the definition by uh, Matthew Ricard, who is known as the happiest man in the world. Yeah. I said, I said, probably he knows a thing or two about happiness. <laughs> <laughs> and the way he defined it, uh, he defined happiness as a state of flourishing, a flourishing that arises from an exceptionally healthy mind and not a mood, not an emotion, uh, not something, not a fleeting feeling, but an optimal state of being. So that's how he defines it. And I use that definition. And so so happiness is, is something that you take over time, right? So for example, you say have a happy life. And so it's something you do over time. Mm-hmm. So it's not every moment you are joyful, but it is like, you know, overall, I'm happy. Uh, in contrast, joy is an emotion. Joy is fleeting. Joy is, is a moment-to-moment uh, pleasant emotion. And the relationship between the two is that for a happy life or let's say a happy day, right? Not every moment is joyful, but there is no such thing as joyless happiness. So therefore, joy is the building block for happiness. And therefore, if you train yourself to access joy, then you can build a happy life with the joy. So joy then is is as a vehicle toward a long life of happiness. Uh, specifically, access to joy is the vehicle. Access to joy is the vehicle. Okay. Uh, well, let's. Uh, you mix ancient wisdom uh, with modern science uh, in order to show people how to increase happiness. That's kind of, if I were to boil it down, is what I get from you. So let's talk about the science first. What has science uh, been teaching us about happiness? Uh, the findings have been like, fascinating. Uh, there's, there's one early finding, which I think most of us read about in some form or other which is that, and this, this study, I think it was from the 60s, and it involved twins. 
And these studies show that of all the factors that we think contribute to happiness, like, like uh, wealth, social status, success, uh, family, uh, religiosity, and so on and so forth, every single factor contributes uh, at most 3% <laughs> to happiness. Huh. <laughs> and the number one determinant, which contributes like more than 50%, was genetics. Okay. And that was shocking. That's, that's scary, <laughs> which means if that finding was true, it means that you're born happy or you're not, and you're not. Sorry. Sorry to be you, bro. <laughs> that's almost like Calvinist predestination. You are in or you're not. Right, right. right. At, at the same time, uh, if we look east, right, and we have been talking in the east uh, where I came from, we've been talking about, about the practice of happiness like forever. And, and then in the West, uh, something happened starting from, I think, roughly the year 2000 or so, when uh, the Dalai Lama met with a bunch of scientists and he started challenging them to uh, study uh, uh, meditation. And not just that, he volunteered his own monks <laughs> to, be, to be subject of the study. And of course, Matthew Ricard, the French, the French Tibetan monk, became the, the, the main subject. And the study, uh, the series of studies showed uh, that the mind is highly trainable. It's high, they're highly malleable. Uh, for example, so one of the big studies uh, to me was that there's a part of the brain called the amygdala. It's, it's very primitive. It evolved very early in, in the evolution, uh, evolutionary uh, uh, history. So we share this part of the brain with, with uh, animals and, and reptiles. It's called the amygdala. The amygdala, it relates to fear and stress, right? So if, 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 if you sense danger, the amygdala turns on and it takes over your thinking mind, which is a uh, thinking brain, which is the, the prefrontal cortex. And then you start to panic and you start to do things you regret later. And the key finding of that of the early studies from the early 2000s is that uh, with enough meditation training, you can even down-regulate that part of the brain. It's fascinating. Right. So even a primitive power brain can be, you can learn to calm down. And as, as a science progress, you find that uh, there's, there's scientific research to show that even just after a very short amount of time, eight weeks of mindfulness training, people are happier. And you can measure that in their brains. Right? So, so uh, one way to measure that is the relative tilt in the left, right prefrontal cortex. So uh, it is found that uh, people who just do eight weeks of mindfulness, that that variable changes uh, meaning, meaningfully, or rather in a statistically significant way, and people report also being happier. And uh, I think one of the most recent uh, finding is basically uh, matches what, what I just said, which is that happiness is basically a collection of skills. So uh, for example, resilience. Uh, if you train your, if you, resilience is trainable, right? resilience towards uh, uh, I mean, emotional resilience. And if you're emotionally resilient, you'll be happier. Right? And then another skill, for example, uh, is, is, uh, is outlook, a, a generous outlook towards the world and towards yourself. If you have generosity, uh, at least you feel generous, then you'll be happier. And that generosity is trainable and so on and so forth. So yeah, so that's a scientific underpinning behind uh, 2,500 years of ancient wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Jade Mengtan uh, jo uh, is on Progressive Spirit, my guest. Uh, he's the author of Joy on Demand, The Art of Discovering the Happiness Within. You know, when I read your book, I, I think, well, oh, this is uh, in the Dhammapada. This is the Tao Te Ching. This is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, did the ancients have wisdom that uh, we've neglected and because of that have become less happy? 
Uh, uh, definitely, <laughs> without doubt. <laughs> um, how shall I put it? Uh, there's there's a micro there's a micro way and a macro way to put it. And okay. the micro way that it happens in our lives is that uh, so there's an old Chinese saying, right? Which means that when there's an old person at home, it's like having a treasure. Right. Mm. So in the old days, like being old, and, and even not so long ago, like in my lifetime, being old in, in Chinese culture is, is a good thing. <laughs> so if you're old, automatically people respect you. And people praise you by calling you old man. Mm. <laughs> and if you have time, that's like, that was a funny joke, right? That, that, that was like in the 70s or 80s, uh, a white woman was visiting a Chinese family in, in, in China. And, and, and the, the Chinese host was trying to be nice to her. So she was, she was trying to praise her. And she said, you know what? Uh, the last time I saw you, I, I met you, you look like this guy's sister. Today, you look like his, his mother. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, that was a compliment. So, yes. Yeah, so, so I was wondering, and today is not true, right? Today, uh -huh. to be old is, is, seems to, is, a, uh, is seen to be a liability. And I, was, I, I asked myself, why? And I think it's because the world has been changing so fast. Right. In the past, uh, in the past thousands of years, uh, from generation to generation, life doesn't change that much. So if you're old, it means you've seen everything. It means you're automatically you're wise. But today, to be old means that you, you can't catch up. You don't know how to use uh, FaceTime or, or, mm. or you don't catch Pokemon or, or the go or something. Right? <laughs> so, so to be old means that you are not uh, in the in crowd. And I think that this thing has become a cultural norm. And that plus, there's another thing that happened, which is uh, the scientific revolution, which is, is a really good thing, started up appending the wisdom traditions. And the reason was because uh, a lot of wisdom tradition is tightly coupled with, with also with religiosity. And so when the scientific revolution upended religion, it also unwittingly upended <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I think the combination of all these historical factors caused this to happen, and uh, fortunately, uh, the reverse is happening now. Fortunately, as modern science is now discovering that the ancients were right after all, right? It turns out that you know if you if you're generous, you can measure increasing happiness. For example, right? It, it, if you're kind, you can measure that your uh, what is called that your uh, vagal tone, which is the health of your vagus nerve. Uh, uh, goes up. We can measure it now. Uh, we can measure now that if you're happy, you're more creative. And we can measure changes in the brain when you do meditation. right? So I think now that time has changed. Science has become an ally of ancient wisdom. And I think so, therefore, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I think from now on, ancient wisdom will regain its footing in the world and we'll all become happier people. Uh -huh. I, you know, listening to the news today, uh, climate change, species extinction, increasing gaps between rich and poor, people might be uh, suspicious of happy or <laughs> joyful people as not being realistic or, or escaping away from the troubles of the world. So I'll, I'm sure you've been asked this, so I'll put it to you as well. Is it unbecoming uh, to be happy or joyful when there's so much injustice and sadness in the world? Is, is joy a scandal uh, in, the midst, in the midst of suffering? <laughs> I hope not. Uh -huh. <laughs> or, or, or I'll be scandalous. <laughs> uh. Uh, so here's a yeah. I, I think you put a you put a finger on a very old problem in in ancient Zen, 
And there's actually a word for it. Uh, uh, it's called Zen bums. <laughs> so what happened was this. What happened is uh, there, were, there were a bunch of people who went into deep meditation. And then because of that, they found, they found unconditional joy. Right? So they're happy all the time. And then their, their reaction to that or their response to that is to stay in the cave the rest of their lives. Right. So they're called Zen bums. Mm-hmm. Zen bums. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so what is the solution? The solution is compassion, which is why that uh, a lot of teachers uh, in my tradition keep telling you, in addition to training happiness, you also have to train in compassion. <laughs> and, and there are two reasons. One reason is that uh, by training in compassion, uh, even when you're happy all day, you look out, you see there's still a lot of suffering in the world. And the compassion compels you to get out of the house and do something. <laughs> and the second reason is it turns out that compassion itself is a factor of happiness. And you cannot reach the highest happiness without compassion. Right? You can only reach a second level of happiness. And so uh, in addition to that, so, so that's the first point. The first point is that happiness plus compassion is the solution. It's very powerful. And the second point is that uh, for me doing my charity work and, and having friends who, who do a lot more uh, charity work than I, I do, there is always a danger of burnout. Right? If you're doing good for the world, it's very, very hard. And you get discouraged, you get burnt out, you get, uh, yeah, it's, you hit the wall all the time. And the only way to do this well, to sustain this, is with inner joy. Happiness cannot be sustained without inner joy. And inner joy cannot be sustained without inner peace. Therefore, in order to in order to serve the world, you have to have all three. You have to have inner peace, inner joy, and compassion. And then you can go out and do your best for the world. All right, meditation. I want to get how to, how to access joy. Now, for many people, meditation uh, seems arduous, a lot of work. People don't think they're very good at it. They get sleepy. Their mind wanders. They can't wait until it's over. And when I say people, I mean me. <laughs> what can I do today to start being uh, more mindful, happy, to begin to access joy? Hmm. Uh, so maybe I give you a, a little bit of the big picture, and then I come to this, this okay. question. The big picture is that there are three uh, main practices, in, in my opinion, to, to accessing joy. Uh, and the first one is, is uh, easing into joy. Right? So putting the mind in a state of ease. And uh, what happens is this. There is a quality of mind called sukha, uh, which is translated usually as a, a non-energetic joy. So it is, in a way, it's like the, the background humming of the air conditioning. It's, it's always there, but you never hear it. And the only time you hear it is when you quiet down and pay attention. And it's the same thing. It's, the sukha is always in the mind, but we don't, we, don't, we don't perceive it until we quiet down and then we pay attention to it. And when we do that, we find that it's always been there and it's extremely sustainable. So the trick is to quiet the mind, ease the mind enough to access sukha, and then the sukha, that joy, will reinforce the ease, and it becomes a virtuous cycle. So that's the first of the three ways, uh, three skills to develop, to become uh, joyful, joyful, like to raise your joy, your happiness set point. And then we come to your question. <laughs> so so those, for those of you who can't meditate, what to do? <laughs> uh, I, have, I have a few suggestions. Uh, one suggestion is to do short and intense. Right. So in the old tradition, uh, the, the, the old tradition is uh, everybody meditated full time. I mean, those who meditated did it full time. 
So they spend a lot of time sitting. And over thousands of years, we develop this bias, this cultural bias, that therefore, in order to get any benefit, you have to sit for very long. <laughs> and modern science found that it's not true. Modern science found that all you have to do is uh, the 100 minutes of practice. And then already we have measurable changes, measurable right, benefits. 100 minutes, like less, like two hours or so. And that's not necessarily, is that 100 minutes in one sitting? Oh, lifetime. A lifetime. <laughs> you know, yes. Like, Mind-blowing. When the first time I read it, it blew my mind. And then there was like, of course, there's a repeat study that showed that it's true. And, and then my students experienced, so that's true. It's fascinating. So, so that's the first thing to know. First thing to know is it does, for the first impact, it doesn't take that long. I mean, of course, that's not mastery. Mastery is different. <laughs> but to begin to have measurable changes, about two hours of lifetime training. And so uh, the trick is this. The trick is uh, short but intense. So for example, um, the first exercise I lead might be, maybe let's try this now. It's a six second exercise. Okay. For six seconds, I'd like you to uh, bring total but gentle attention to one in-breath and one out-breath. Okay, shall we do that? Yeah. Let's do it now. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so that's it. Do you notice that in one breath you are calmer already? You know, yes, actually. Yes. Yeah, it, it, that's, yes. That really is what it takes, isn't it? And, yes, and... it doesn't even take 100 minutes of practice. It took six seconds okay. <laughs> to begin to, to, to perceive the benefit. <laughs> maybe not maybe not measurable scientifically, but you can perceive it already. And then you might, you might ask this question, why? Why is it that one breath is so powerful already? And there are two reasons. There is a psychological reason and a physiological reason. Physiologically, when you do one in one breath like this, you, you bring full attention to one breath. You notice that uh, you are breathing slowly and deeply, right? By yourself. You don't even try, right? And mm -hmm. when you do that, you are stimulating your vagus nerve, which then stimulates something called the relaxation response, which is the direct opposite of the stress response. And so your muscles loosen up, your heart rate goes down, your blood pressure goes down in one breath. It's fascinating stuff, right? So, so that's, that's why you're more relaxed. That's physiological. Psychologically, uh, to, to worry, you need to be in the future. To regret, you need to be in the past. Mm -hmm. so, and so if you're, in, you're totally in the present for six seconds, you are free from worry and regret for the duration of one breath. Like freedom from worry and regret. That's how powerful it is. And so therefore, if you do more than one breath, if you do like three breaths, it's 18 seconds of freedom. And so the, then you can just do it for as long as you can sustain it. And then uh, after a while, just relax right? <laughs> and do this a lot. Right? Every now and then just take three breaths. Right? When you wait at a DMV, take three breaths. When you wait at a lunch queue, take three breaths or something. And those things accumulate. And then better still, the mind gets uh, familiar with this state of sitting or this state of calmness. And therefore, uh, later on, when you do your former sitting again, it becomes easier and easier. So that's one, uh, short practices. Second, second uh, uh, suggestion re related to this is to notice the joy. Right. So in other words, bringing joy into the practice early on. So for example, just now, when, I, when we did the six seconds, I ask you whether you're more relaxed, you say yes. What I didn't ask you, and which what you can try as homework later, is do you notice joy? 
he said a little bit of joy in that experience of I am more relaxed. <laughs> and if there is, bring attention to it. <laughs> and if there's not, it's okay. Uh, eventually you will come. But if there is, bring attention to it. And by bringing attention to it, you familiarize the mind with the joy. And then eventually the, the mind associates joy with sitting, with meditation practice. And then therefore, after a while, sitting becomes a joyful activity. And that is how you can become a meditator easily. Oh, and that's how it moves from arduousness to, to joyfulness. And you and you talk about doing that, noticing joy on, on a variety of things, uh, noticing how uh, good your uh, sandwich tastes or yes. noticing the sunset, uh, recognizing, paying attention to the, the yes. joy that uh, you have experienced. Yes, uh, yes. Again, let, me, let me give you a framework again. So mm-hmm. so the first, the, the, three paths, the three skills, right, to, to developing joy. The first is easing into joy. Uh, right now, you're talking about a second one, which is inclining the mind towards joy. And uh, the word inclining is very interesting. In in ancient scriptures, uh, in, the mental inclination or inclination of mind is compared to the slope of a mountain. So when a mountain is sloped in a certain way, inclined in a certain way, uh, when water flows, it flows in that direction effortlessly. So therefore, if you incline your mind towards a certain direction, then, then mental states flow effortlessly in that direction. For example, if you're inclined towards anger, then you get angry all the time without, without even trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, if you learn to incline the mind towards joy, then later, as, later on, joy arises effortlessly. And so the question is how? How do we do that? And the answer is, or the couple of answers, one of the main ones is to uh, notice thin slices of joy, right? So if you notice, like, like if you find that life in life, the thin slices of joy everywhere. For example, when I was thirsty, I drink water. There's a joy. Oh, this is great, but it's very subtle. Right? It lasts for like a few seconds, and it was. It's not like yeah, yeah. It's like hey, it's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's it's thin both in space and time, but they happen everywhere. Like. Uh, the, the walking, when I'm uh, eating my first bite, when I see a friend, and so on and so forth. So the, the key point is to notice all these thin slices of joy. And by noticing it, uh, first first you get a jolt of extra joy, because now you actually enjoy the sandwich, enjoy the, the shower more than before. But more important than that, by noticing, by paying attention to those thin slices, you familiarize the mind with that joy. And once you familiarize, the word familiar uh, is related to the word family. So when you familiarize yourself with joy, joy becomes a member of family, becomes a a, a best friend. And then because the joy is a best friend, he or she is there with you all the time. (laughs) So, So therefore, inclining the mind towards joy by familiarizing it, by uh, noticing thin slices of joy, and it's very easy to do. All you have to do is to notice there is joy here. That's all. Well, and I want to get to the third part, uplifting the mind with joy, uh, particularly in times when uh, we're experiencing great pain or loss. Yes. Uh, the third one is actually the most powerful one. Uh, shall we do a, a, like a five-second experiment? Okay. Okay. I'd like you to uh, bring to mind somebody you care about and wish for that person to be happy and all notice right. if there's any joy. Okay. Okay, let's do it now. 
Thank you. Uh-huh. You notice that just by thinking, I wish for that person to be happy, you are a little bit happier already. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I know uh, it's actually a, 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 a what you call that a, a reliable phenomenon. It's something that we can everybody does it, and it ha- it works all the time. So uh, one one story I can tell is uh, I at a public talk. Uh, it was a Monday Monday evening. I, I gave I gave this I, I guided this practice and I gave this homework. I said tomorrow is Tuesday. Tomorrow is a work day. Uh, try this every hour. Spend ten seconds wishing for two people outside your office to be happy in your head. So secretly, so it's not embarrassing. Right? Just think. I wish for these two people to be happy. Go back to work. That's it. Nothing changed. See what happens. So that was Monday evening. Wednesday morning, I received an email from a total stranger. And this person said, I hate my job. <laughs> I hate coming to work every single day. But I did the homework on Tuesday, and Tuesday was my happiest day in seven years. And what did it take? It took 80 seconds of thinking. I wish for these random people to be happy. 80 seconds of thinking. That's fascinating. So first thing, I mean, the first impact of that is, my friends, you just discovered one of the most important secrets of joy. Nothing changes, nothing happens, takes no time. All you do is wish for people to be happy in your head and you are already happier. And more important than that is, you know, the previous things we talked about, uh, you know, calming the mind, easing, takes a little bit of practice. Noticing joy takes a little bit of practice. But this one takes no practice. Why? Hmm. Because uh, all it takes is, all it requires is for you to bring up a thought. Bring up a thought. And every adult I've ever known in my life can bring bring up a thought effortlessly. And so therefore, if the secret to happiness is simply bringing up a thought, then it's the easiest thing you can ever do. We don't get success and then are happy, or we don't you know, get good things and then are happy. It's the happiness that we cultivate that leads to those other things. Yes, correct. Yes, according to the scientific literature, it again blew my mind. Uh, so success doesn't lead to happiness. However, happiness leads to success. Uh, if you're happy, for example, uh, you sell better. You're 37% better at sales, for example. Uh, you're 19% more accurate at the tasks that you do. Uh, and and you're, you're more creative. And again, retroactively, it makes sense, right? Because like, if same price, same product, two guys selling you, one guy is always happy, the other is always grumpy. Like, who do you buy from? <laughs> buy from the happy guy, of course. <laughs> so happiness does have a, a premium. And the premium is 37%. So, uh, yeah, and also it makes you a better leader. Also, it makes you healthier. And all those things contribute to success. Therefore, I say if you want to be successful, learn to be happy first. All right. Jade Mengton, my guest on Progressive Spirit, is the author of Joy on Demand, The Art of Discovering the Happiness Within. Pick that book up. Thank you so much uh, for being with me today. Thank you for having me, my friend. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, I'm John Shuck. Be welcome.